Welcome back to Talent Hub Talk. In today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Jennifer Tai, an experienced senior Salesforce business analyst who has been in the Salesforce ecosystem for many years. Through the episode, we explore more about Jen's background, how she came to hone in on the role of the Salesforce business analyst, and we really delve into the world of a business analyst. Jen shares some tips around things like workshop, stakeholder engagement, and really what makes a great BA. I hope you enjoy the episode, and if you do, please do subscribe for future episodes that are coming through. Jen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Excited. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to have you. I um, We must have been in contact for coming up to 10 years now, so it's um, been a long time. Uh, you've been in the Salesforce ecosystem. I feel like I'm becoming a bit of a veteran, but you've got one of those interesting backgrounds where I, I'm guessing Salesforce wasn't necessarily by choice. It probably wasn't something you wanted to do growing up. It probably wasn't something you were aspiring to get into when you were studying. Whereas nowadays we do see people that, you know, they're, they're destined for the Salesforce world. So what did you actually want to do when you were growing up, when you were studying? What were your aspirations? Um, I actually didn't have a, have a plan. <laughs> so I studied computer engineering um, at uni and it was only during those studies. That's when I started to think, okay, what am I going to do with this degree? Uh, I always thought that I'd end up in a large consulting firm um, and never really heard of Salesforce. I came across it by accident. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought that might be the case. I think back then it wasn't uh, it wasn't something that people were aiming for in university, things like that. I think it was so many people, so many guests I've had on the podcast just fell into it. But how, how did Salesforce land on your plate, I guess? How did you come across an opportunity to be a Salesforce professional? Oh, wow. So the year was 2006 at the time. The owner of Squarepeg, Nelson Plus, uh, really just saw the potential um, and took me under his wing and just learned all things Salesforce and the rest is history, I guess you can say. But I, I did have, I do have a love hate relationship with Salesforce. I've been and uh, working for an implementation partner, then I've moved into working for the business, then I moved away from Salesforce, and then and now I'm come back, coming back in. So um, it's been a ride. Well, we'll explore that love-hate relationship. 2006 was um, a very different place for Salesforce, right? So you, you, in terms of the evolution of the platform, in terms of the evolution of the market as well, I appreciate it might have turned into a more of a love-hate relationship. But what did you love? What were your fondest memories of, um, of being in consulting in, in the, the early days of Salesforce in Australia? Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, Salesforce back then was, quote-unquote, simple. It was really what you saw out of the box is what you got. And so what I really enjoyed was, you know, really rapidly being able to implement these solutions for the whole range of different businesses from, you know, your small not-for-profits, you know, all the way up to, um, you know, large automotive companies. So, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed just learning how businesses operate and how, you know, Salesforce could actually help them in their growth. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you mentioned um, the, the founder of SquarePeg. I think you, you're referring to Sean Stilwell, who was actually one of my first ever clients when I, I moved into the Salesforce space. So I, I think he must have seen, yeah, he must have seen something, right? Because to, to set up a consulting firm back then in Salesforce, way before it was on anyone else's agenda, I think there were so few partners from my understanding back then. And you were the practice manager initially, right? So you you saw the the very early days, like you mentioned automotive, I'm guessing you're, you're referring to like Toyota back then. Like the, this was the, 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 the real foundations of the, the Australian Salesforce market. Yeah. And I think others who like Sean had used it in their own companies and saw 
how great it was and then started to branch out into um, implementing uh, for others. I think a lot of partners start out that way. So you were practice manager and now your 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 passion is uh, business analysis. When did you really hone in on being a BA and move away from uh, either practice management or the end-to-end kind of consulting implementation roles? Yeah, um, I think in hindsight, all the roles I had the opportunity of of having had business analysis foundations to them. And that's what I really enjoyed was those aspects of, you know, literally analyzing the business and really understanding how businesses worked and operate and being able to be curious every day, uh, how things work, what do people do to solve their business problems. Um, I loved, I love that. Do you think the roles change though? Because like, if I think about when I got into the ecosystem around 10 years ago, I think business analysis, like you said, was part of roles, right? It wasn't necessarily seen as a standalone role all the time, I think. But that's changed, right? Now Salesforce have got the the BA certification. I think we're seeing more and more enterprise level engagements where there are business analysis, uh, business analysts and also other roles kind of working in tandem. So what was it seen as back then to you as a business analyst? Was it like, was it a career that you could have purely as a BA in the Salesforce space? Yeah, I love this question. Being a BA, you have almost that freedom to be solution agnostic. With Salesforce, with their evolution of being, that's what you see is what you get, to now you can build anything um, on the platform. I think there is that acknowledgement that you do need to spend that time and invest in that time up front to really understand what the problems are to then set that project up for success. I think that's that's what's happening now is that there is an emphasis on, on getting, making sure that there is value uh, in what that solution is going to bring before actually diving into uh, that solution itself. Do you think like at times there's a need for BAs and functional consultants, let's say, as two different roles um, to work in tandem? Or do you feel on some projects, it, you know, a functional consultant can be the BA as well? Yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like it's not a one answer fits all. It really depends on what that project um, is looking to do. I believe that the the BA superpower is really in the beginnings of a project or even prior to a project understanding the correct problems that we want we are wanting to solve and um, it's almost that i've used this analogy before you know measure measure twice cut once like just really taking the time up front to understand and form what is that path to the outcome that's going to mean success for the customer it's an interesting one right? because surely functional consultants should have the same mindset though right like uh, i think to deliver success for a project, there there should always be a real focus on the right outcome. Like, what is the customer trying to achieve? What's the problem now? I guess the whole as is to be like, where are we going with this, right? But what crossover then do you see in those two roles? Because I think like some people will say they can do both. Like I can be a BA or a functional consultant. Some clients will will use those job titles interchangeably, right? So a company that are hiring for a BA might expect really a functional consultant, but they're titling it a BA and, and vice versa. What would you say the differences are between a functional consultant and a business analyst in your experience? My experience is that the functional consultant does have that domain knowledge. So they can on the spot quickly just determine um, a path of, oh, this this is possible or this may not be so possible. We're hitting some limitations here and being able to quickly identify when that 
a need arises. And I think if you were just, let's say, quote unquote, purely a BA, you're not focused on just Salesforce. Uh, you have a bit of a mindset of, okay, look at the solution as a whole. What are the other platforms or technologies at play here that we can actually also look at? There's a bit of a need to understand what that landscape is up front and understand, okay, yeah, actually just a functional consultant is is more than enough for this type of project or no, we need a BA that can overlook and oversee the, um, I guess, the entire landscape. So I guess maybe a functional consultant comes in when Salesforce is the chosen solution, right? And then you're looking to use Salesforce in the best way possible to solve a business problem that may have been identified by a BA, but a BA can be useful even before Salesforce is the chosen technology to understand the the, the key requirements and what, what is being driven and, and where we're going with the scope of whatever they're trying to achieve. Yeah, that's right. Like a BA is really good at, I guess, making clear of priorities or making clear on what is it that will actually bring the most value in the end. So more of that strategy. So how do you feel about the BA certification in Salesforce? How do I feel about it? Well, that's a tough question because I myself haven't taken the BA certification. And I think just certification in general, I think what it does, it gives you the tools, the techniques on being able to carry out those tasks, but you don't necessarily need the certification to be a really good BA, if that makes sense. But how important to you is Salesforce knowledge as a BA? Because you mentioned system agnostic, like, you, you know, a BA is transferable. Like you, a good BA, I guess, could come out of a Salesforce project and go into a PEGA project and still be effective. But do you feel now where Salesforce is obviously a lot broader? It's not the simple platform that you, you mentioned you worked with back in 2006. So like if a functional consultant is able to steer and guide the best solution with Salesforce and a BA doesn't necessarily need to be that functional consultant, but do they still need to understand what's possible, what's recommendable um, for, for the Salesforce solution? I don't think this is just for Salesforce. I think as a BA, you are inherently curious. So you want to know what is is possible. So I would say that you don't need to have that knowledge going into that project, but it's very advantageous to have knowledge about it. So I would say don't stop yourself from going into a Salesforce career if you know nothing about it because you can always pick that up. You can always learn whilst you're on those projects. Uh, but yeah, definitely having knowledge about the technologies is going to be helpful in your elicitation of requirements or, or problem definitions. Mm -hmm. What about configuration then? Do you feel like that's something that a BA should know how to do, even if it's like conceptually rather than actually executing the, the build? Oh, great question there. I think it actually comes down to personal preference. Like, uh, do you like to um, explore new ways of working or do you like to learn about new products in general? Um, and Salesforce isn't hard to pick up. Um, the, the concepts there isn't, aren't new. So, yeah, if you like tinkering, I would say go for it. Yeah, like, again, that comes down to client preference as well, right? Because I see some BA roles that need someone to do flows. And then other BA roles is like strictly you don't touch Salesforce, you you know, don't have admin um, admin rights at all. So yeah, that, that's what I find interesting in that it is a skill or a, a job title that can mean different things to different companies. And I think that can sometimes be frustrating for job seekers because they're like, you know, they might be a BA that doesn't 
tinker with the platform at all, never has, never has been in an environment where they're expected to, but then they're going to interviews and that's an expectation from another client, another company that, you know, would expect someone to be able to answer questions on how to build a flow. Mm, Yeah. And I think it also comes back to how do organizations define what a business analyst is and what does business analysis mean to them? I feel that every role should have some of the foundations of what what a business analyst can do or what business analysis is. It's such a transferable skill set to any role. You've managed teams of BAs before. So I believe in, in roles, you've been like BA practice lead, practice manager. So, um, and that's not just Salesforce, right? That's BAs across the suite of technology that the business is using. So what, having managed people before and being around other BAs, what do you think is the most important skill set of a BA? Definitely people skills. Being able to engage, talk to people, understand, be empathetic, be curious, like all those things. When you're solving problems, you need to understand the people side. Can you see a junior BA and you just know like they've already got those skills? It's just now adding depth and, you know, evolving their knowledge of, of different people. And, you know, as they get more experienced and more senior, they're going to be a really good BA. Or have you seen people that might not have those skills when you first see them, but then they're things that can be picked up and learned? Like people's skills, do you feel you kind of have them or you don't? I think you can definitely learn them because people are not aware that that is what is going to get them further into a career that they prefer or into more exciting projects. And it's it's almost the being aware that that is what's going to help them. Then they start to think, okay, I can incorporate some of these people skills into my meetings or into my workshops uh, or even day-to-day uh, dealings uh, with stakeholders. Uh, yeah, I definitely feel that it's something that you can learn and even for me now, I feel like I'm I'm forever learning new skills and even unlearning things that I thought I was, you know, stuck on that it was just the one way to do something. That's and that's not true. There's so many ways to to get to uh, the same outcome. How have you done that though? Because I guess you're you're a senior you're a senior BA. You're probably often leading workshops rather than observing, right? So um, I would imagine there's other people that are coming through, watching you and observing and learning from you. But when you get to a certain level, how are you still able to see that there are new ways of doing things? Like, how do you take that on board and, and go, okay, like I've been doing this for 15 years or however long? Yeah, feedback. <laughs> feedback is one of the things. I love to ask my stakeholders, oh, did you find that useful? What would you like me to do next time that could help you? Because everyone's going to be different and every meeting is never the same as the last. Um, I always use this as an opportunity that if you're going to be 1% better, you're still better than the day before. So like, what advice would you have for someone that is coming through and about to run workshops? And because that must be pretty daunting, like if you've not done that necessarily before, is it something you can practice? Like, can you like, I remember when I've been employed in the past by other recruitment companies, we used to do like um, role plays in front of everyone in the office. And that's daunting. <laughs> everyone hated it, right? It was like, so scary, because you've got all of your peers around you, and you're like role playing, but you, you actually learned so much through that. But is that something like that, that a BA should be considering, like actually doing proper practice, like, you know, not just not just learning on the job, but being like in a, in a kind of classroom environment with their peers to actually maximize their, their ability to deliver a workshop? 
Yeah, no, that, I mean, that's an amazing idea if people had the time and it's always that factor of, I don't have enough time. I actually just need to run this workshop. So, you know, regardless of how much um, experience that you might already have, don't underestimate preparation. Preparation is almost, I feel, 80% of the work leading up to facilitating um, a meeting or a workshop, doing the upfront work, knowing what it is that you're trying to achieve. Uh, who are your stakeholders, what you know and what you don't know, uh, being very clear when you're going in. And then also just having that open mind that things may go pear-shaped, but that's okay. You can always recover from that. And yes, it does take practice, but don't let that stop you from taking those first steps. Yeah, makes sense. Can you remember the last time that you went into like a, a completely new client stakeholder that you'd never worked with before and needing to build rapport? Like what, what, what's your go-to to, to like get off on a good, good um, grounding with a, a client? Mm, be curious who they are, what they do, what their team does. Um, just as like you're meeting a new colleague for the first time, get to know who they are and just be genuinely curious about what they do and what this project will mean for them if it was to be successful. And I think just listening and empathizing uh, with stakeholders, um, you can build rapport quite easily that way. And obviously we hear all the time like difficult stakeholders. It's something that like that, that term is used regularly. What, what does that usually mean to you? Like why is a stakeholder typically difficult? I think it comes down to what are they trying to achieve or what are they trying to tell you? Really listen and not offer up solutions just yet. Well, it's a, it's an interesting one because I guess stakeholders, like even not just related to Salesforce, right? I, I, if I think about like my mum was a executive assistant and she got she was managing one of her clients was historically really difficult to deal with. Um, and she went into that being like this, this person I'm going to be working for is really difficult. People haven't enjoyed working for them before. But then her view of the person was amazing. Like they got on really well. She really enjoyed working with them. And I think it's going back to your point, it's like around curiosity, like not giving solutions, right? Like just, just listening to the person, understanding what they're trying to achieve. Like what are they looking to get out of this relationship? Like what does good look like to them? All of those things where if you approach it the right way, I, I guess a stakeholder that might have been difficult for someone else isn't always going to be difficult for you. And going into that, expecting someone to be difficult because that's what you've heard or that's the kind of aura they have um, might not always be the best way to approach it. Like if you go into every engagement with a new stakeholder with a like, completely clear mind of this person just could be a great person to work with. I mean, I've never been a BA, so that might be more more difficult than it sounds, but giving everyone a chance to, to be a good stakeholder. Yeah, just be empathetic as well. And is it the topic areas that are, you know, making the conversations difficult? I don't feel like the stakeholders are difficult. It's, it's that what you're discussing may not come so easily to discuss and it could be a whole range of reasons. And a way to get to the bottom of it is maybe you need a one-on-one -on -one with that stakeholder and really understand what is it behind um, what they're trying to say. Um, again, it kind of goes back to that, you know, human-to-human -human connection, engagement, understanding. You, you mentioned preparation is really important for meetings and, and like running a workshop and stuff. How important do you find setting an agenda to be? Agenda is so useful. People don't like surprises. So if you even have just a rough idea of what you're going to go through in that meeting, it, it helps everyone. Um, and it also helps you uh, 
keep yourself on track or, or the meeting on track. And if there are other topics or other things that other people want to discuss, you can always change the agenda if you've got the flexibility to. So I feel that agenda is just a way to be a guide for the day so that everyone knows what's coming up or what to expect. I think that's something that a lot of more junior people might struggle with initially because it's like, you know, I'm setting the agenda. This is what I want to discuss. And and going, especially if you're like, say you're a junior BA, you're going in, you've got like a CIO, a head of sales, like you've got these people that perceive to be senior and decision makers and all these things. And then you're setting the agenda. How would you approach that? Is it like before the meeting, you say, right, this is what my understanding of what we're all looking to achieve from this is who wants to add anything to the agenda like how how can you do that in a soft way to be confident that you're not just putting a list of things that might not be important to the other people that could just be one meeting of many as well so when we're talking about planning and preparation it's not just also isolated to that a single meeting you kind of need to look at it as a whole like are you having multiple conversations with different stakeholders that whole week um, and, you know, should they all have their same same agenda to uh, ensure that you're getting, you know, an unbiased view of what it is that you're seeing out to achieve? So all of these are, are factors, but definitely getting an opinion beforehand um, is also handy, but you don't at the same time want to have analysis paralysis. <laughs> don't, don't get too hung up on it. Um, again, it's just a guide. And if you feel that, oh, you know, we're getting away from the objective, that's when the agenda is really good to say, oh, actually, the outcome, what we're trying to achieve is X today. We can take that, you know, topic into a different discussion at a different time. But if you feel that actually that topic that you're raising directly impacts what we're trying to achieve, then you you let that be discussed. It is a little bit of trusting your gut at times. But again, going back to what is the purpose of that meeting? You don't want to waste people's time. Either you're, you're gathered together specifically to get a particular outcome. And uh, any golden nuggets of information around running a good workshop, like things that have worked particularly well for you over the years? Oh, yes. Listen. <laughs> Just really listen to what people are saying. And now with lots of meetings being virtual or remote, uh, always try and put your camera on. Seeing cues, facial expressions, if someone looks like they're confused or they're thinking, you might want to give a pause and maybe ask them a question. Was there something that, you know, that you thought of that you wanted to share? Like those are um, little things that you can actually find really golden information that you might not have otherwise if um, you weren't actively looking for those cues. Like it's an interesting one because we've seen like the the world has gone very remote and we're now starting to see obviously some more companies looking for people back in the office more. But BA and business analysis and workshops that like when anyone ever talks about like where there potentially is a need to be face to face, that is kind of the the area that people discuss like that that requirements gathering, you know, the the stakeholder engagement, like the face-to-face, like the in-person communication two ways where it's really important that everyone's on the same page seems to be where everyone kind of hones in on, if I need to do this, then I'll go into the office. Or, you know, that part of my role is probably the one area that has a greater emphasis on human connection. Have you found it to be harder now to do that, those tasks than than before when, when everything kind of was in person? I'm finding the opposite. Actually, I'm finding it's far easier to communicate through video. It's it's almost instead of talking to one person, you're talking to many at the same time. 
uh, yeah, that's, that's my experience. And I, I have to say that I haven't been, I haven't needed to hold an in-person workshop for a while now. All of my engagements have been online. Yeah, I think it would be really difficult now to, to have an exclusively online event. Say you needed 10 people in a room, there's going to be at least three, four, five that can't make it on that day, right? So then if you've got five people in a room and five people on video, it's probably going to be a bit more difficult. So actually, it's better to have all or nothing, in my opinion, like all on video or all if, if you can all get in a room and you all want to be in a room, great. But like having half and half probably doesn't work so well. So, so yeah, I, I can completely see why having a video call would be beneficial in some ways. And, and some ways, I, my perception would be it would be challenging. I guess if you're saying like things like having your video on, like if everyone is engaged, you can see everyone's faces, like it's so much easier than if people that you, you, you're running a workshop and three people have got the video off, like how can you possibly know how they're absorbing that information? Yeah. And I'm actually finding that if you yourself are engaging through camera, that other people just naturally want to engage with you and they turn their camera on as well. I haven't actually come across any stakeholders who don't turn their camera on. And would you ask them to if they had it off? I haven't actually needed to, but if, if a situation arose, I, I would say, oh, you know, if you're comfortable, please turn it on. But, you know, it's not a must have. It's really up to, you know, how comfortable they are being on camera as well. You want them to be comfortable um, in, in meetings. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's not a one size fits all for everyone. So um, final two questions. So we've spoken about like the need for a BA up front and uh, to really understand the business goals and objectives and, and where the, the project's going. At what point does a business analyst become less needed on a project? I would say that what they do changes. I wouldn't say that they're needed less. So it's almost like at the beginning of the project, uh, they're there to lead and guide and facilitate. Whereas perhaps their role turns into more of a supporting role. Like what if new information arises and you need to pivot? Or there's questions that may not necessarily mean that there's a change in the solution, but it might mean a change in the process. Or there's um, something that needs to be augmented to the solution. So I feel that a BA is never not needed, but their role just might change throughout the project depending on where that focus is. And for you, um, we see a lot of like admins that are looking to progress to functional consultant, platform manager, some to developer. Not always a BA role, though. Like, I mean, it's it's often a skill that people are developing because they know they need to for as part of their role. But it's not always a role that goes, you know, I'm going to be an admin, then I'm going to be a BA, and um, because sometimes they they feel they're losing those the hands-on elements of their role. Why do you think it would be a good role for, for or, or who do you think it would be a good role for if they're kind of looking to make that transition? If you are naturally curious <laughs> and you love learning about how businesses work and operate, BA is the, the perfect role for you to learn all that and to be curious actively every day. Do you think it's really for someone that has an interest greater than just Salesforce though? Because obviously a lot of people love Salesforce, right? That's all they want to do. They don't want to... Do you think really as a to be an effective BA, you can't be like, I guess, uh, blinkered by, by Salesforce? Yeah, no, great question. There's also, uh, like, like I say, I think it really depends on the customer that you're implementing for. If they've got other technologies in their stack, then there's an opportunity there to also, you know, question like how does Salesforce fit in in your ecosystem or in that landscape, um, and then you have more opportunity to to go just beyond um, Salesforce there. You mentioned uh, another question just came to mind. It's a curveball one, but you mentioned towards the beginning that uh, love hate relationship with Salesforce. 
So what would you change? Like if there was anything you could change about the Salesforce ecosystem, what would that be? Oh, I don't think I hate Salesforce for the capability. It's more of a, for me, I always feel that I am forever wanting to learn new things. So it's almost every five years, I, I feel a bit of an itch to, to learn something new. And at times it's because, oh, I'm seeing the same problems over and over again because Salesforce is really good at solving those types of problems. And that's why they always see that. And that's kind of where what I mean by love-hate. It's like I love the platform. I love what it can do. Uh, but at the same time, I want to see more. You get that itch. That itch of, I want to know what how people do business in this industry or or in that department. Awesome. Well, thank you so much and uh, really enjoyed catching up and, and hearing more about your journey and, and also the, the role of a BA. If uh, anyone wants to reach out, pick your brains, ask any questions, where, where is the best place to find you? Find me on LinkedIn. Um, my uh, inbox is open there and yeah, happy to be answering any questions. If you're on the fence, you're not sure um, if BA is the right path for you, yeah, hit me up and you know, happy to chat about you know, what your ambitions or aspirations are. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed today.